1: Welcome to Big Technology Podcast, a show for cool-headed, nuanced conversation of the tech world and beyond. Stephanie Link is our guest today. She's the Chief Investment Strategist and Portfolio Manager at Hightower Advisors. What is Hightower Advisors? Well, it has $3.3 billion in assets under management. That is a lot of money, $3.3 billion. And so why is Stephanie here today? Well, the tech industry has had a very difficult year in 2022, uh, and it might just be the start. And I wanted to know, How much worse is this actually going to get for the tech industry? How much worse is this going to get for the broader economy, which has yet to feel some of the pain that tech has? And I couldn't think of anyone better than Stephanie. Not only is she a star investment strategist, but I also met her on set at CNBC. And we kept talking during the breaks. This wasn't, you know, show up and give talking points. Uh, There was a true enthusiasm and, and depth of knowledge and interest in these companies that Stephanie demonstrates. And I think that's the type of person we want to listen to when it comes to this stuff. So a few things to consider when you're listening to Stephanie today. First of all, one of the questions I have, how much worse is this going to get for tech? Um, Also, how much worse is it going to get for the rest of the economy? And then finally, some questions about globalization, because it does seem like we might be getting toward the end of that. And I want to know the implications uh, if that happens. I think you're going to really love this conversation. Stephanie is one of the best. And so here we go. Stephanie, welcome to the show.
0: It's great to be here. Alex, thanks for inviting me.
1: Great having you. It's always fun to um, have people on who I've met on set at CNBC. And and I really we've only we've been on together once. Let's welcome in CNBC contributors, Stephanie Link of Hightower, Big Technologies, Alex Kanchowitz and also StarTech analyst Dan Ives of Wedbush is here with us on set as we await these earnings. Welcome, everybody. I said these are... You know, I enjoyed our interaction a lot. It was fun, like we were talking in the breaks and stuff like that. I was like, "All right, I feel like we got to get Stephanie on the show, talk about the economy, talk about tech." So, uh, I'm so glad you're here.
0: Oh, thank you. And there's so much to talk about too. I really enjoyed our time as well. So, yeah. we, have to thank, uh, we have to we have to thank halftime or, or overtime.
1: <laughs> That's right, definitely. So, um, let, let's talk about you for for just to start. You've been a contributor at CNBC for like 12 and a half years. So. People are always interested how folks get into this business. I'm curious how how you got your start there.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. So I've been in the finance world for uh, just about 30 years. My first 16 years, I was on the sell side. And so I was marketing to the buy side, people that ran money, hedge funds, mutual funds, and, and, and the like. Uh, and then I did kind of a 180 and wanted to try to figure out if I could run money. And so I met Jim Kramer. We had a mutual friend. He was looking for someone to run his charitable trust at the street.com. And we met for 30 minutes. And all we did was talk about stocks the whole entire time. Uh-huh. And uh, he hired me on the spot. And uh, I, I have a story that this is a little bit of a diversion, but I just to tell you that he's, he's a really good, he has a really good heart. So he hires me on the spot. I accept all seems like it's great. Um, he said, take a month off. I just had a baby Take so take a month off. And you know what? Just, Joy, and then we're gonna hit the ground running. The day before I was supposed to start, I said I can't leave my new baby. I just can't do it five days a week. So I call him up and I said, "Jim, I really want a career and I want to be a mom, but I can't leave my daughter for five days." And he said, well, "What are you talking about?" I thought he was going to hang up the phone on mm-hmm. me. Instead, he said, um, "Well, what do you need?" And I said, well, what, "What do you mean? What do I need?" He's like, "Well, what will it take?" I said, "Could I?" work two days from home. And this is back in 2007. We weren't Zooming and, and WebExing or anything. And he said, you know, how about you take three days, work from home and two days in the city? And I thought that was really pretty cool. Super understanding. And by the way, working from home was brutal. It was hard, harder than yeah, working did, in New
1: York City. How did you do it?
0: It was, it was tough. It was 24-7, right? I mean, we used to compete with each other to uh, to who got on the treadmill first at 3:30 in the morning. I mean, oh we were God. like crazy. So, yep. he taught me a lot about running money um and he that's where I started doing videos with him at the street.com. And then one day, um CNBC and the Street, they very they were very um amenable to having both work at each company. And they had asked if someone would be interested in doing doing the recap of Cisco on earnings day at 4.05. And uh, and I said, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And so I did. And uh, that was Maria Bartiromo's show. She's no longer there. So anyway, it started doing that. Then Larry Kudlow started doing Larry Kudlow. And, uh, and, and then Scott uh, Wapner for halftime saw me uh, doing a, a, an interview and he said, would you want to be on the show? So that's kind of how it started. I wasn't really looking to be on TV, but just by default, you know, you know this just as well as I do when you're passionate about stocks and sectors and the markets you can tell on tv and you yes. really want and i know they really want people like you and, and and me on on the show to to help teach people too
1: so let, let's get into the economy and and start in an area that uh, you know you know well which is tech when is it going to be enough for tech uh when because obviously like you look at um These, the big tech companies, you look at, uh, you know, even the smaller tech companies and they're getting hit even harder, right? So you're down anywhere. If you're, if you're lucky, you're down 20% this year. If you're Peloton, you're down what? 90% or more. So obviously this is a response to the Fed raising interest rates that seems to be ready to tail off. But, but yeah, at, at its core, core level, when is it enough in terms of the bloodletting for tech?
0: You know, it's a, it's a great question, Alex, but it's almost impossible to answer. But I can give you my best guesstimate and the way I think about things. When at, the, at its height of tech and comm services, we kind of lump them together. It represented 38% of the S&P 500 in terms of a weighting. And just to give you something that was that so so it was well-liked, well-owned and not cheap. Even the companies that had earnings still not really cheap, but I got it. We all get it. We get the total addressable market stories, and we get what we're doing in today's world in terms of productivity and and all of the enhancements. And then, of course, throw on COVID, and everybody needed so much more stuff. Um, so, I, so I, I get that. But just to parlay that into at the same time as tech and com services was thirty eight percent of the S and P five hundred, energy was two percent. Right. So fast forward, we're now at oh just thirty four percent of tech and com services in the S and P waiting, but now <clears throat> energy is at almost six. So just it just goes to show you that things got a little bit hot and heated. And I think really they, ben- the technology sector in general and comm services really benefited from COVID. And there was a big, huge pull, pull forward. I mean, we're seeing it now. A lot of companies are struggling. Enterprise demand is slowing a bit. And if you think, of, if you think about cybersecurity is slowing a bit. Um, They're still really wonderful end markets and total addressable market stories, but they just saw a lot of pull through. We saw double and triple ordering within semiconductors. And so now you have wafer fab equipment numbers down in the 20s for next year. So I get it all. These stocks are down a lot, uh, but I think they are going to struggle because interest rates are a problem and higher interest rates for long duration assets and tech and growth in general are long duration assets. And I'm not talking about the non-earners because I don't really want to touch those at this point in time. I've always non-earners said, means
1: companies that are not profitable.
0: But not profitable. That's right. right. I'm I have always said the momentum is great when it's going your way, but as soon as it reverses, it's almost impossible if a company doesn't have earnings. How do you value it? Right. It's almost like back in 2000 when we used to say it's the eyeballs that everybody right. Remember the dot com bubble? We used to say that's how you that's how you value technology stocks by the eyeballs. Okay, I'm sorry, but I, I've been doing a long, this a long time. You have too. It's not by the eyeballs. <laughs> so I have so. to
1: I have to ask you a question about this. So we we've had a couple of tech folks come on on the uh, on the show over the past few weeks talking about why tech didn't anticipate it. There's also an argument that these companies are also quite responsible for some of the, the problems here. So Aaron Levy of Box was on the show last week and he talked about how tech itself lost sight of the fact that, yes, there's growth. The future, uh, growth of a company is, is an important thing that investors are looking at, but also the margins, right? Sure. And it seems like there was this, again, this infusion of money coming into the stocks um and so they thought it was only about growth the future potential of growth make it up in your head everybody decided to go for it and investors kind of followed along but as this was happening the margins were coming down because they started spending more um how much how much of that plays into the fact that like now okay now with the fed uh you know rate up now you start to pay attention to that much more
0: yeah. I mean, well, look, I think.
1: I mean, you're in meta, so I feel like you know the story well. Oh, God, I know. I know. <laughs> and we're going to cover that in the second half for sure. But I want to hear your perspective on the broad stuff. I yeah. knew you,
0: we were going to get there. Yeah. I knew you were going to get there. But yeah. um, we'll get we will definitely get there. You have to own it. Um, absolutely. I think companies, not only did they see a pull forward in demand during COVID and not even during COVID, like demand was always really strong. These companies were a lot smaller 10 years ago, right? So you did get that really explosive growth. And then you, had, then you had another leg of growth higher because of COVID. All of that is good. Everybody thought that would last forever, to your point. So they all overhired. And that was that's part of the problem why we have an, an, an unemployment rate where, well, it's not a problem. It's great to have an unemployment rate below four. But that's one of the reasons why the labor market is so tight, uh, is because you had this phenomenon. In mainly in tech. But again, as I mentioned, almost 40% of the S&P 500 is tech and comm services. And so you had this overhiring, overspending. And as I like to say, I mean, Zuckerberg spent like a drunken sailor, but so did Alphabet for years and years and years and Amazon, right? So All of the big companies, which represent such a big part of the market, they were all doing the same thing and they were fighting over each other. Who's going to get who and what are you paying for these people? And now all of a sudden, demand starts to slow. And I don't think it's a disaster in terms of the demand side of things. It's just normalizing. But they had these bloated cost structures that really, at the end of the day, we really have to say, shame on you, management teams, right, because- they had to see that what people were spending on enterprises and consumer, what they were spending on was really a lot dominated by, uh, by, by, by COVID and, and, and this, and this pent up demand. And now you're seeing a shift away from goods. Everybody has that laptop. Everybody has that, that iPhone, uh, everybody, ha- which by the way, the new iPhone, I, I don't know if you have it. It's super heavy and big. I haven't, <laughs> so- I have an
1: upgrade. I'm still, I, I am still on the ten. Um, I feel like there's very little difference between 10 and, and the newer models. I will upgrade 15 because I think there's going to be USB-C charging. So that, that's a big oh, deal for me. That'd so, be good. um, I thought about 14. I'm ready. My screen's cracked. The phone sucks, but, uh, <laughs> wh- I need that USB-C cause I don't want to invest another phone with, uh, um, the old, old charger. If they're going to switch it again, been I there. Know,
0: it's, a pain. it's a pain in the- I know, been there. That's yeah. right. It's pain. But, uh, but look I mean you know at the end of the day maybe maybe we'll have an upgrade cycle with Apple but do they yeah. need any does anybody need any more Macs or or iPads you know or AirPods well I right. do because I'm the only one that loses AirPods like once I don't think on. you're
1: the, you're the only one I definitely <laughs> I'm one <laughs> AirPod person so um but I just like to go back broadly here about the cuts right so you're an investor, right? So you're looking at, are they cutting enough? And the the meme right now is that there's a big slowdown and there's big cuts. Here's here's some stats to consider right before the pandemic. So March, uh, 2020 meta had what 48,000 people, 46, 47, 48. They had 87,000 before they announced this cut. So that will bring them back down to 77,000, still 30,000 more than March, 2020, basically, you know, close to double, uh, well, at least seventy-five percent more than they had pre-pandemic. Amazon, right? The right now, uh, they're talking about ten, a potentially ten thousand person drawdown there. Um, they're hiring one hundred fifty thousand people just for the holiday season. When I started covering Amazon for for my book Always Day One, they were at like six hundred thousand people, and that felt huge. And that was in twenty seventeen. Now they're well over a million. So my theory here is that these companies have done a little bit of cutting to show Wall Street they're serious, but they're still hoping that it's going to go back and haven't done anything close to what the market actually demands that they do. So, but, but like they've gotten the headlines and sort of looks like they're doing more. So, so I think that we're not, we're not anywhere close to as bad as it can be. If this continues, what's your perspective there? 100%
0: hundred percent agree with you. So meta, it's 13% of, of costs that they're cut, you know, that they're cutting. Yeah. I mean, they still are huge in terms of how bloated they are. And you mentioned Amazon and the confusion uh there. And I thought the real tell, I haven't owned Amazon in a really long time, but I thought the real tell for Amazon was in the first quarter of this of this year when they started talking about having to cut data centers and close data centers. Hmm. And I thought Amazon is closing data centers? Is demand really that bad? Well, demand has fallen, but also you have a lot of other competitors out there that have gotten better at what they're doing in terms of distribution and data centers and warehousing and that sort of thing. So I, I kind of feel like Amazon's not a special situation, but that was the tell for me that things were going awry. Interesting.
1: Interesting. Who who are you worried about if you're Amazon who are you worried about like shop shopify i feel like they're not not very threatening
0: i think you're worried about so let's just let's just pick on retail okay i think you're worried about walmart and target uh-huh okay and so those companies Kohl's.
1: so it's traditional retail it's like a, the sorry go ahead go ahead
0: it's like the payback it's the payback of the old like legacy companies that have spent oodles and oodles of money trying to be better at what they did so they don't and they're have finally to be catching so reliant up. on Amazon, right? You know,
1: it kind of reminds me of the Netflix story where like Netflix was seen as this, like the, they're the only one that's going to do streaming. And then all these other companies who seen as laggards and we focus on their other businesses, business like uh, Disney, for instance, um, and Amazon, they caught up. And oh, yeah. and it's even right. Apple, and then Apple got in. So all of a sudden that first mover digital advantage, where we said that, oh, Netflix is a tech company. Actually, Netflix was a streaming company that just built the tech early. Um, and, and that's what's happening to Amazon too.
0: Yeah. 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 First that is interesting. Advantage, for yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. No, it's a good, it's a really good point. And, and so it's all of a sudden it's the slowdown, it's the overbuild, it's the overspend and now competition. And it's like, wow, that's a recipe, a really bad combination, especially when your stock. your in Amazon's case, is trading at 80 times earnings still. Right. I mean, I know you did some of the parts. I get it. I got it. Um, the thing that's frustrating, well, I know we're going to talk about meta. The thing that's frustrating about that one is it's not expensive. You know, you got to, If I think there are pieces within technology and places that you can absolutely be nibbling right here, especially those that have um, good market share, good balance sheets, great free cash flow. That's super, super important. Um, so I think you can pick at a few. But I'm not inclined right now to go overweight my benchmark just right. yet. I'm still really underweight.
1: Let's take one minute just to, for those who are um, not, not well-versed. When you say something's expensive or cheap, a stock is expensive or cheap, what do you mean by that?
0: So there's a lot of different ways of looking at a valuation. What, what are you willing to pay for a stock? And what I look at is I like to use price to earnings, the price of the stock and the earnings that is, are expected. And future numbers. Right. Um, I always also, though, look at the past. So for so for some historical con, uh, context, if a stock traded at on an average of 20 P.E. price to earnings in the past and it now trades at 15 times, well, OK, a, why? <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. and is it a bargain? It, it, it or there's something really, really, really wrong. And so that's where doing fundamental analysis comes to play. Other industries, sometimes it's enterprise value to EBITDA. Sometimes it's price to sales. Sometimes it's price to growth. I really try not to get caught up in that, in any of that. I like to use PE, I like earnings. I like predictable earnings, and that means I'm going to miss some things that trade at very high multiples, even if it's cheaper than its historical average. But right. that's just me because I'm a little bit more of, as I say, a GARP investor, growth at a reasonable price.
1: Yeah. So when you look at those those multiples, you are if, if, are you like in tech 30, 30, 30 times?
0: There, there are... Uh, I mean, there are, well, now you can get a like you can get Apple at 23 right. times, but okay. I'm not thinking that's all that cheap when the overall. But
1: that's not cheap. So why is that? Right. Yeah.
0: Right. Oh, uh, well, why is that? Oh, I think. Oh, it's they're hardware. Install- they hardware. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. it's their install base. Yeah. Okay. Although, you know, they, they were a big beneficiaries. as I said, of a stay at home. So I, yeah. I, I think services is, 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 ner- I get nervous there. And that was a disappointment when you and I were on yes. over time, mm-hmm. we talked about that and, um, you know, iPhones, but have stayed resilient, so people are willing to to to, have, to Plus, by the way, they have a ninety billion dollar buyback, so they're buying their stock every single day, so that's nice support. Right. That's why I think that stock is expensive. It's really, really expensive, and it's seven percent weighting in the S and P five hundred. That's how big it is. So the S and P
1: is, by extension, <laughs> fairly <laughs> expensive. Well, at least in that on that on that front. Before we go to break, I just want to ask you the the broader economy. Obviously, it hasn't hit very much to outside of tech. Uh, So earnings are okay. Uh, Consumer spending is pretty strong. People have jobs. I think that I was listening to the Daily. They said 1.7 job openings for every worker. I'm curious how many of those are actually real. But the yield curve is inverted. So you can get more money on, you know, a shorter term bond than you can on a long term, at least a better interest rate, which means that, okay, you know, bond investors believe that the economy is going to get better over, over, the long term, but it's going to be, be brutal in, in the short term. So what's going on with, with this economy? It's a very strange economy because we have all these different, like we have signals that it's strong. We have signals that it's really about to go to crap. Like <laughs> what do I we know. believe here? What? Yeah.
0: I know. Well, first and foremost, I think it's very important to remember the market by definition S&P 500. That's what I use. The market is already down 18% on the year. And the market is a forward-looking indicator. It discounts things that are going to come in the next 6 to 8 to 10, 12 months. So we are really pricing in, I don't know if it's a recession, but definitely a slowdown. And the yield curve, if you look at a long, if you look at the 30-year Treasury That the yield will trade on growth expectations. And the fact that we're seeing an inversion, short rates higher than long rates, that just tells you the market, the bond market's already telling you we're going to slow down. The equity market is already telling you earnings are at risk because we're going to slow down. Now, whether we go into a recession or not, it doesn't matter. But the the fact of, of the matter is, is that we are discounting a lot of bad news. All that being said, the market always climbs a wall of worry. And the worry is the Fed has already overdone it in terms of raising rates, and we won't feel the impact to the overall economy for another six to nine months. Why do I say that? Because it's just a simple lag impact. When you raise or lower rates, it takes a while to get into the system.
1: Well, do you think that's- Yeah. Do you, you think we will? You think that's true?
0: I think that's going to be a rough year. I think we're definitely going to slow, whether or not we're going to slow, whether we're going to slow into a recession or not. That's a a big question because there is, to your point, you made a great one. The jobs market is white hot.
1: Right. But the Fed is, I'm I'm sure the Fed is looking at that and it's just going to keep at it because that's a major contributor to inflation.
0: I know. It's like you can't, you kind of can't win. Right. I know. Wages and rents are really, really important. Um, So I kind of think we're in a trading range. Until we can kind of get a sense as to what is what is the slowdown? Is it a recession? And what happens to earnings? And so we'll trade on, we'll make like if we get a CPI number that's much lower than expected, we can rip higher. Totally yep. go up. If we get one that's hotter, we can we can kind of decline. But I think it's just a trading range kind of a market until we can really get some certainty. Right. Yeah, so so that's what I think is going on. I don't think it's all bad though. I don't think it's all gloom and doom. I really don't. I'm very I'm very impressed with the job market and wages. Mm-hmm. That's good for the consumer. Right. Um we just got to get parts of this inflation uh better better under control.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it'll be well, what's your gut tell you about 23 in terms of what, you know, 10 really bad, one not so bad. One really good. Where where is what's your gut say?
0: I, oh, that's so don't, hard. Don't I, I don't want to be this a one. five. That's yeah. boring. That's <laughs> okay. so
1: boring. Yeah. Let's get a six or a four.
0: So I would, say, <laughs> I would say, well, you know what? I would say the first half of the year, I think is gonna be challenging, yeah. okay. right? So is six the, is six the bad or yes. six is the bad? Let's just call six the bad. Six or seven, okay. maybe bad. Right. Um, and then I think the Fed stops. We assess the situation and second half of the year, they could actually ease and hopefully they get inflation into a better control. And then I think we can rally in the second half. So I would give that then, like a, yeah, like a, like a three or a four by the second half of the year. So yeah, that equates to a five, which is so boring. <laughs> okay.
1: Well, wait, well, hey, look, it's, it's good. We'll, we'll take it. If we end up at the three, four at the end of the year, it's a much better position than a lot of us uh, are hoping or are expecting to be. Stephanie Link is with us. She's the chief investment strategist and portfolio manager at Hightower Advisors, CNBC contributor as well. When we come back after the break, we're going to talk about uh, Meta, Apple, semiconductors, uh, maybe Elon. We're going to try to do it all in about 15 minutes because Stephanie is about to go on air. Back after this.
0: The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise.
1: Be a part of the conversation that changes everything. Subscribe to Redefining Work today. And we're back here for the second half of Big Technology Podcast with Stephanie Link. She's the Chief Investment Strategist and Portfolio Manager at Hightower Advisors. Stephanie, thanks again for coming. Um, here's the meta question: Tech companies have to reinvent, right? They they do. And if you look at it. Um, through the history, a tech company that does not try to reinvent, they're toast, right? And sometimes those reinventions are so strange, right? Where like Microsoft, for instance, it took them a long time to realize we have to cannibalize our Windows business uh, and cannibalize our server and tools business, which was all about, you know, putting servers inside offices and build for the cloud, which is going to make server and tools go away and make the desktop operating system much less important than the browser. And that's a tough story to sell, and it's probably why it took them so long. when you're meta, right you're if you believe that your transformation is going to be in this metaverse uh, direction, maybe similar to the way that Microsoft might have believed they were moving to cloud and that's going to take some attention away and you know your all systems go um, and' it's, it's costly, uh, but the market isn't going to give you the leverage to do that so how do you how do you transform a how do you transform? um if the market is telling you not to and and if you're an investor how do you how do you weigh that weigh that the need to just constantly be reinventing with the need to get your money out of the stock or at least be be trading in a good spot you know as as at all times
0: it's a tough one it right cuz you know, we're looking
1: at decades versus quarters so
0: i know i know and oh by the way we were talking about costs before right if they were to come out, and I bet you believe, I bet you agree with this. If they were to come out and say we're going to spend five billion a year instead of ten billion a year on the metaverse, I think that stock would be up twenty five percent on that on the day. I really truly do, especially given how oversold it is. Um, but they have committed to ten billion. Uh, Zuckerberg w- wants to go after this. None of us have any clue when the ROI is going to happen. Return on an investment. We have no idea. Is it ten years? Is it 20 years? Is it five years? Hmm. And that's what's upsetting because the narrative has changed from a pretty solid company with a great business mix on the legacy front of things. And and by the way, they're making progress in reels. It's now at a 3 billion revenue run rate um, from zero, what was it? Seven, eight months ago. Yeah, they know how to copy.
1: They're very good at that. Yeah,
0: they're very good. They're very good at copying. You're right. And stories, when they messed that up, it took them two quarters to fix and they fixed it. So I think they're in the process of, of, of improving reels. Um, I think they can monetize what WhatsApp. Uh, I think having two and 3 billion daily and monthly active users has size and scale. It's not going away anytime soon. So right. back to the eyeballs, they actually do have eyeballs. But on the
1: reinvention question though, how do how do they have that room? How do investors give them that room? If that's what's eventually better for the company?
0: Well, it's, it's, You know, having to ignore metaverse and focus on legacy, because right now they're getting very little credit for legacy. And that's why I mentioned Reels, WhatsApp, daily and monthly active users. Uh, It's having cost discipline. um, And and it's it's at some point, I think I've said this on TV like Mm -hmm. five times. Yeah. At some point, five times EBITDA means something. That is so incredibly cheap. This stock trades at 10 times earnings, and there are real earnings. So I just feel like at some point, I've overstayed my welcome, no no question about it, but I do think at some point, you have to appreciate when you split up the two pieces, what are you getting for the thing that they're doing already well? Right. And- can you overlook that metaverse? And a lot of people
1: can't. And that's why it's bringing right. where it is, right? Yeah, and they're still doing five billion or so in profit a quarter. At least they did last quarter with all the spending. So
0: that's why I say EBITDA is an important tool. Yeah, as exactly. as it's five times profitability. You know. So, so yeah, I know. Have,
1: have you um, rethought your invest the way that you'll invest in companies with founders who have complete control after this? Mm. Because a lot of people are like, you know, Zuckerberg is. You know he's he's unaccountable, and therefore this is what's happening. So that ch- does that change the way you invest? Because we have others like that. We have Snap, for instance.
0: Yeah, no, it's a very good question, and I I think it's something you abso- absolutely have to pay pay attention to because if he didn't have complete control, you know that there would have been uh, an activist involved in this, and you know an activist right. would have said slash that ten billion and 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 call it a day. Um, so yes, it does make me think. Twice about it. That being said, the same thing happened to Alphabet, right, with their share class situation, which was absurd when they announced it. And eventually, they got management in. They listened to investors and they got the right managers um, into place. That eventually weren't the founders, right? The founders then, you know, kind of, you know, ran off into the sunset with their billions. Um, so maybe that has to happen here. I'm not entirely sure. I'm pretty darn sure if Zuckerberg were to retire tomorrow. Yeah, that's another catalyst for the shares, but I don't you think, think so. that's happening future. Yeah I don't, I don't
1: think he's stepping yeah. away. Uh, no. It seems like he's the, it's what he lives for is to yeah to he's run digging Facebook.
0: in, he's digging in exactly.
1: <laughs> so let, let's move on to their um, top nemesis, which is Apple. Um, first of all, you know, well let's just talk about the China situation. So Apple is super reliant on China. They're trying to move away in, in some areas. Um, it's It's been a, a rocky couple months in China. How do you view all of that when you think about Apple?
0: It's disappointing that they didn't make changes earlier. Right. Every company I know, and that, not just technology, but every company I I know, uh, every sector, they've all been diversifying their supply chains all over the world. Now, Apple has two, but they are still very dependent on the uh, suppliers there, uh, manufacturers there. And even if they do an about face and say, we're going to get to eventually, you know, 10% of our uh, of our, uh, of our uh, operations are going to be in China. It's going to take years. It's years and years. It's like five years down the road. It's going to take them to fully diversify, to build plants and facilities. And oh, by the way, it's going to be more expensive. So, onshoring yep. in the US is a great concept for the country. Great concept for the country. Terrible concept for a company that wants to be profitable. So, I think they will have their challenges. They'll get through it. Uh, but on the flip side, China's not going to stay closed forever. And we know this week we've heard them starting to reopen and be more liberal on COVID. They're eventually going to open up a hundred percent right I think twenty twenty three a theme is China recovering and China seeing stronger growth than expected, and as that happens, that will certainly help them for sure yeah. but it's and, a it's a real pain point right now,
1: right, and China's gonna open as we go through this moment of deglobalization um so i I'm, I'm gonna come back to Apple, but there was a really interesting speech that no one paid attention to. There was one thread about it on Twitter it's Morris Chang from. Taiwan Semiconductor. He said globalization is almost dead, and this is the end of the beginning. So as as he works to you know open some plants up in the U.S., obviously we know why that's happening because having them in Taiwan is is you know a liability. I've heard you know maybe five to ten percent of the U.S. GDP could go away if if we're not if we don't have access to those plants. So,
0: but but. I would just say yes. one thing. Okay. Taiwan semiconductor, they're doubling down or tripling down on building out in the right. US, right? Yes, exactly. So it's only but the, four, the, yeah. only four, it's only four percent though, of right? Their production. So exactly. they're still very tied to Taiwan. You know what I mean?
1: Right. Exactly. Uh, no, they, and they, they are working, but these plans take a long time to yeah. to build. So um, what what? So that's just sort of a lead into to this broader question, which is. Um, what do you think the the longer term impacts of this deglobalization is going to have on on our economy, the companies you watch? I know it's a pretty broad question, but it has to factor into the way that you think about these companies.
0: When you asked me about the economy, and I said the bright spot is jobs. Uh-huh. the Second bright spot is onshoring, U.S. onshoring.
1: So you think this is good? And, yeah,
0: and yeah, it's very good for our country. Um, I just think it's really going to be a challenge for profitability. Because right. their costs are going to sc- are going to to go much much higher, um, but you know what is the price you want to pay for security, stability, independence, all of that? Um, but I still believe if you th- if you think about the demographics in China, it's still very powerful. So okay, maybe many companies don't build as much. Many U.S. companies don't build as much over there or manufacture over there. You're still going to have the demand side of the equation. I think be quite strong um, from the consumer, um, and just based on the the, the demographics. And, um, and and I mean that that goes that goes from Caterpillar and Estee Lauder to Apple and 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 several of the semiconductor companies for sure. So I hmm. globalization, I think, is a good thing. I think we, we just all relied on China way too much, but that took years in the making. Alex. Right.
1: Yeah, this didn't, didn't happen overnight and it didn't happen by accident. So, um, right. and it is interesting because we spent like a good chunk of this talking about how tech companies need to restore margins. And if you're, if you're bringing production on, sure. Um, but, by the way, I, I do agree. I think it's good. If you lost access to Taiwan Semiconductor and you're a company like Apple, which I think relies on them. You're, you're in some, you're in deep trouble if you can't get those semiconductors. That's, that's it for a while. So, but it will be very interesting to see what the impact is on the business. And I think it's a very underappreciated story that no, no. Yeah. So.
0: And I think also, uh, it it goes back to the double and triple ordering, not only was demand so strong during the pandemic, but it was also, you couldn't get anything. Right. Right. So it was like a double whammy. So now you got this whole thing unraveling, and that's why we are where we are.
1: Yep. Okay. But double triple ordering means that just companies are bulking up just, you know, just in case they lose access and that's creating a bigger
0: I think it was more of they couldn't get the chips.
1: Right. They oh. couldn't get oh, the stuff. Okay. Yeah. They couldn't
0: yeah. get the merchandise. You've talked uh-huh. to some of the retailers. They couldn't get the merchandise. And yep. then all of a sudden we wake up one day, and a, and a perfect example is Target says that they're going to have a 2% operating margin versus eight. Right. <laughs> so talk about that being the deleverage. And that's because all the inventory showed up one day and they had all the wrong stuff. They had all the goods that everybody wanted. They didn't have services stuff that people wanted. And so it's happening everywhere, not just in tech, but it's certainly happening in tech too.
1: Yeah. Okay. So I know you have like uh, seven minutes before you have to call in CNBC. We'll, we'll get you out of here in, in four is that, or three or four. Is that okay? Um, <laughs> that's perfect. Elon Musk, uh, he is having a week, and he's had many of them in a row. What is the risk to Tesla here in terms of, you know, Twitter's private, and he's probably going to—I mean, whatever's going to happen there is—we we don't really have a good understanding, and it's it's Elon's money at the end of the day. Uh, but a lot of a lot of uh, uh, you know investors' money is in Tesla right now. So what is the what is the risk there to Tesla if Elon keeps acting like this and dividing his attention?
0: Yeah. Yeah. No. 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 Yeah. Sure. No. I mean, the pushback could be could be real at a time when you have a ton of competition happening too. Right. So it's from and th- that talk about from the legacy, yeah, uh, Oes. Right. And it was a one man band, no pun intended, or pun intended, for such a long time. And now all of a sudden, in the next three to five years, you're, I mean, you're going to get a ton of EV cars and trucks. I think it'll be fine. I mean, the company itself will be fine. There's enough demand and his products are amazing. Um, I think I'm very intrigued with the trucks uh, in a big, big way. I think there's a huge amount of demand there given the massive shortages we have in drivers and, and uh, the inefficiencies that we have. Um, but I, I think that from a, right. owning the stock, I think it's going to be a challenge. And it goes back to not only is it a challenge because he's got issues, you'll have pushback and competition, but it also goes back to the conversation we had at the beginning of the show. If interest rates stay high, growth and growth stocks and tech will likely lag. So there'll be a price at one point. There'll be a time when you want to really load up the truck. I personally think it's a cult stock. I think people love it or hate it.
1: Right. And and he's going to the thing is, he's going to lose people in the cult um, and and that's going to hurt if, if a premium um, on Tesla was the Elon acolytes, it's going to go away. I, I started for the first time having people who are, you know, true Tesla acolytes text me and be like, what the heck do I do? Because I'm watching what he's doing and I don't know what to do about this, oh this stock goodness. right now. And it is down significantly over the years. So something to watch.
0: You're in the crosshairs right now. You're in the crosshairs right now and it's very expensive and yeah, it's a tough one. It's a tough, tough one. I wouldn't touch it. I don't own it, but I never have. So to be honest, I I didn't make all the tons right. of money that most other people did.
1: Yeah. All right, Stephanie Link, thank you so much for joining.
0: Thank you. It was great to be here. Happy it's holidays. Awesome.
1: Happy holidays. We'll let you go on air. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and that'll do it for us here on this week's Big Technology Podcast. Thank you, Stephanie Link, for joining us. Really a pleasure speaking with you. And I hope to see you back on set sometime soon. Thank you, Nate Gowatney, for handling the audio. Thank you, LinkedIn, for having me as part of your podcast network. Thanks to all you, the listeners. A lot of people responded, and we really shot up the rankings. We were number 10 on the Apple uh, top charts for tech news last time I checked. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for rating us five stars. Any more ratings uh, you know, would go a long way. So if you haven't done uh, the rating yet, it takes a couple seconds. And if you hit the five stars, it'll mean a lot to us. All right. Well, oh yeah. Next week, next week we have Andy Yen, who is the CEO of ProtonMail. Great timing because Apple has a uh, a serious deal going on in terms of their move to encryption. So we'll speak about that. We'll also speak about the merits of doing anything encrypted at all. Um, I, I think that's still worth conversation on that front. Uh, Dave Friedberg from the All In Podcast was supposed to join this week. He couldn't make it. So try to get him in 2023. And uh, and as we come close to the end of the year, I just wanted to say thanks to all of you listeners. And I, I say it every week, but um, show can be anything without you. And week in, week out, I appreciate you being here. Okay, well, until next time, that will do it for us here. We will see you next week on Big Technology Podcast.